we do that as we gather our offerings and our tithes. Um, I also think it's important that we do remember uh, those um, of our fellow citizens and brothers and sisters who are down south. I know that we've all been following um, the weather and, of course, the hurricane coming in. And it's quite amazing, isn't it, how far out they start um, predicting these things and we can see it coming. And so I feel like it's been forever that we've been following that. If you're like me, you're kind of a little bit of a weather junkie and you get to, you know, see all the different charts and the maps. But really, at the end of the day, you know, at the beginning, it's just out in the ocean. It's not really causing any harm. But but at the end of the day, when it does uh, start to come closer, then it affects lives. And unfortunately, it takes lives. And um, so there are a lot of people that are hurting and people that are in need, people that they say are still in need of rescue. And so, of course, we want to pray. So let's pray for them as a church now, uh, praying for the people in, in the southern states, especially the Carolinas that were hit hard, and just pray that um, God would somehow um, use this event to bring people closer to Him, but in very practical ways, that God would provide what people need, uh, material needs, food, shelter, clothing, safety, um, health. And so we want to pray that to our God and then, of course, for our brothers and sisters that are down there, that they would be safe and that God would use them uh, to spread a good word and to bring hope. Because these are the kind of times when people are searching for hope, especially those that don't yet know Christ. And so we want to pray for them. So let's pray together. Father, we continue to pray. God, we prayed for the offering, and um, that's good because we recognize that you're the one that gives. You are the giver. You're the giver of life, uh, you are the creator of life, but you've also created this world, and we know that with it being so imperfect that it is, and broken, um, we recognize that things like hurricanes happen. And so we are asking right now that you would please, in, uh, in ways that only you can do providentially and miraculously, that you would provide hope and healing and help to people that are in need. Lord, um, would you bless our brothers and sisters in the Lord, all the saints that uh, are being affected, that they would be a help and a blessing to others, that you would watch over them, that their churches would be willing to open their doors and provide a safe haven, a place of, um, of healing for people that are in need. God, if there's a financial need that you would move in us to give, if there's a way that we can support them uh, as fellow citizens, but also uh, recognizing as Christians that we are the ones who are bearers of uh, hope and of peace and ones who understand what restoration really means. And so, God, would you protect lives down there, most importantly, and somehow use what's going on to bring glory to yourself. And uh, we pray these things as a church. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue to keep them uh, in your prayers. You know, um, we uh, continue in our study of, of Mark, and our study is simply titled The Way of Jesus because Mark, in his writing style, is very um, progressive and moving forward rather quickly. And so, we, uh, we see that he just mentions different events and details things that he deems important, of course, as God inspired him to do so. 
But really, he is all about being on the way to the cross to spend time as he does at the end of his book. Mark does really focused on that very last week of Jesus' life we call the Passion Week. But we see uh, in our text for today uh, quite a unique short little story. But it's really a time of transition where Jesus sends out the twelve to now partner in ministry. And they're sent out to do a few things, but I think there's quite a bit for us to learn that we can apply to our own lives. There's some important implications and applications for us as a church together and individuals as as believers in our relationship with God. But this morning really all is about sharing the load. It's about joining together, co-laboring with Christ, and about bringing that life-saving message. But not only that, bringing healing and help and hope, just like we are praying that God would do through us somehow, and especially those there on the scene down in the southern states that are being affected by the hurricane. Because, um, you know, we say that when we worship, we're worshiping with saints all around the world and this country together. And so it's good for us to be reminded of that because it's not just here in this building that we are part of the greater church, capital C, with saints all around the world that right now are praying, that are worshiping, that are opening God's precious word and studying it. And so we're doing that now together here in this place, but truly in a spiritual way together with all those around the world. And so um, we are in this together. And this is a partnership, and we are designed and wired by our Creator to live life together. And we are the bearers of a life-giving message that is the Gospel. For we are His ambassadors. Just as Jesus, in our passage today, sends out the twelve in pairs of two to be His ambassadors, His representatives, we are called to the same mission. See, we're all on a mission together. And it is a mission to bring the message of life. You know, it reminds me of a story. We, I think we've all heard uh, about the great race that happens every year up in Alaska, the Iditarod, right? We've all heard of that where uh, there's plenty of movies made about it, right? Where we have um, those great um, uh, sled dogs that go in and they have this great race. It's like a thousand-mile race up in Alaska from city to city, and it's, it's an amazing um, test of endurance. It's grueling not only for the animals, but for the people, and it's something that I would never want to, um, to um, participate in, let alone go see, have to go up there uh, to, you know, to see that. But, but there's an interesting history behind this very popular and well-known and unique race. For it was actually back in um, 1926 that this race actually got started. But it wasn't started as just a fun competition. A race of a thousand miles on sleds pulled by dogs. But it actually was a race to save lives. And so this race that happens every year, the Iditarod, it actually commemorates... What happened back in January of 1926 in Alaska? See, there was a young boy, he was six, and his name is Richard Stanley. He started to show symptoms of diphtheria. Now, I think we still get 
inoculated for that. We still get shots for that, but it's not something that we tend to deal with anymore. But it, was, of course, was a life-threatening disease. And so little Richard Stanley, six years old, began to show signs of this. And there was possibly signs of an outbreak in this small town of Nome, Alaska. I think we've heard of that town as well. It was just a few days later that, unfortunately, the boy passed away. But the local doctor named Dr. Curtis Welch, he began immunizing children and adults with um, an experimental, but up till that time, effective anti-diphtheria serum. But as you can imagine, in that part of the country in 1926, not so civilized as it is today, with all technology and means of transportation and delivery, what happened was the doctor quickly ran out of the serum. But he realized that the nearest supply was in another town called Ninana. But of course, that town in Alaska was a thousand miles away from Nome. A thousand miles of frozen wilderness stood between the doctor and this much-needed serum. So amazingly, what happened next was there was a group of trappers and prospectors who volunteered, volunteered to cover that distance of frozen wilderness with their dog teams on their sleds. So what they did is they operated in relays going from trading post to trapping station to trading post, one sled at a time, sharing the load. At the same time that these trappers and prospectors volunteering, the same time that they left Nome to go get this serum in Nainana, there was also a team from Nainana who left to go meet them. Why? So they wouldn't have to go all those thousand miles so they could meet somewhere in the middle. See, they were sharing the load. They recognized the great need. There was over 20 people that participated in sort of this relay race in a sense, but it was a race to save lives. They were truly oblivious to frostbite, fatigue, and exhaustion as they mushed, as they call it, relentlessly after 144 hours in minus 50 degree winds. That's the part why I didn't want to go there. The serum was finally delivered from Ninana to Nome. As a result, only one other life was lost due to that potential epidemic outbreak. Their sacrifice had given an entire town the gift of life. It was a bunch of people who saw the need and recognized we're on a mission. A mission to save lives. But one person in no way could do that on his or her own. The doctor couldn't do it. There was no Amazon to go to to request it to be delivered the next day by noon. Didn't work that way, 1926. So what did they rely on? They relied on teamwork. They relied on people going out, meeting at station after station to share the burden. It wasn't even just one going 500 miles and the other going 500 miles. It was a team of people from both towns being able to meet in the middle, come together to then finally bring that much-needed life, 
giving and life-saving medicine to people that were in a great need. And that really is a good illustration of what we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 6, just verses 7 to 13. You can turn to it. Again, it'll be up on the screen as always. And we look at it with these glasses on, with this perspective, that in order for us to follow in the legacy and the footsteps of the first disciples that Jesus called, we need to recognize some important truths. The most important one being this, that we are not in this alone. That should give us great hope. Now many of us, we kind of love to be sort of, as we say, those lone ranger believers. We can just kind of do it all on our own and with our own strength, and sometimes we need to call upon God for His help. But see, that's not how God planned it. And that's not how He has wired us. As new creations in Christ, if you have uh, believed in the Lord Jesus for salvation, trusting in Him for, for that, believing what He said to be true, then what that means is that you are not alone. You have now joined a community. You look around, this is a body of believers. It is a community of believers, but yet we see around the world we are part of a much larger community. We are supposed to be living this life together, encouraging each other to be on mission for God. We actually need to also recognize that there is no room for us to be mere spectator Christians. There is no room allowed for us to just come and to sit, to soak it all in, but we are called to be on mission for God. See, up until this point, all of the disciples really had been followers, and that was Jesus' plan. They were learning, and they were growing, and it was time for them to serve. It was time for them to be sent out by the Master to go and to do what He has called them to do in the way that He tells them to do it. With the gifts, with the talents, with the authority that Jesus alone can give, that He does give to them. So let's read this together. I want to read it in two different versions. As you know, many uh, of the stories that we read and accounts of Jesus' life and teaching in the Gospels are uh, in um, some of the other or sometimes in all the other Gospels. But I'd like to read this short um, passage in Mark 6, and then I want to read the same account in Matthew 10, because it fills in a little bit more detail. Again, Mark is a little bit more succinct, but I think this is one of the stories we would benefit from reading it in two different, um, from two different accounts. All right? So here it is in Mark 6, 7-13. through 13. And he, of course, meaning Jesus, he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and to not put on even two tunics. And He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave... Shake the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons 
and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now let's look at that same message in Matthew 10, 5 to 15. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, some detail there. He was sending them just to Israel first with the message of the kingdom. And proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. For truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Matthew adds some pretty sobering words and details in there, doesn't he? So Jesus sends out the twelve on a very particular mission. He sends them out two by two to share the load in the ministry. Remember last week we talked about leadership. We're talking about sharing the burden and doing this life together. We talked about church leadership and the need for uh, leaders to be together of like mind on the same mission. Let's also look at this in um, the passage we read two weeks ago that happens just before the one we read. Do you remember what happens to Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth? He comes to bring the gospel message, the news of the kingdom. What happens to Jesus? He gets rejected. Rejected by his own people. And there's lesson number one, I think, for us, a principle. Jesus himself felt much rejection. But did he give in? No. Did he give up? No. He continued on. It was at that point he said, in a sense, now it's time to share the ministry, to share the load, to go out further beyond my hometown in this land of Galilee and to go beyond. How are we going to do that? We're sending out teams, two by two, to share the burden, to share the load, to do ministry together. Jesus, um, he faced rejection even in his hometown, but he continued on mission. As we share our faith and we live our life as believers in front of others, sometimes we will face rejection. We will face opposition. We will face indifference, which sometimes can be the most difficult thing of all. But yet we are not to back down. We are not to give in. We are to continue to be on mission. You'll see how This plays out in Jesus' instructions to the disciples. So, the disciples were learning from Him. They were growing in their understanding. Not, of course, yet perfect in no way. But now, Jesus said, represent Me. And go out and share the message. 
It's what he says to us. So I want to look at just a handful of things that we can learn from this. The first thing is this. We are to engage in teamwork. He sent them out two by two. We're not to do this together. Yes, God has given us skill sets. He has built up in each of us talents. As believers, He gives us one, if not more, spiritual gifts used primarily for the education of the church to build each other up. See, that means God gives you, through the Holy Spirit, a spiritual gift to use to bless the people that are sitting next to you. First and foremost, that's how we continue to learn and to grow together so that we can go out, be sent out by our Master Jesus to go and to proclaim the Gospel, to do what He has called us to do. Also, when you go out in pairs or in teams and you are doing ministry together, there is not only help, there is accountability. How many of you in your life have what we might call an accountability partner? Or somebody that's mentoring you or somebody that you are mentoring. Are you accountable to anybody? Is anybody accountable to you? That is part of doing life together as believers, as the church, that we are to be holding each other accountable. Loving one another, encouraging each other, but keeping each other accountable. And that's what happens when you go out in pairs or in groups. See, that's part of teamwork. The disciples... Not only were then sent out by Jesus, they were invited by Him into the ministry. It's important as well we recognize Jesus invites us to join Him on a mission. A mission for God the Father. Up until this point, in a way you could say they were just mere spectators. Jesus was teaching them. But along with all the other thousands that were following Jesus, we've looked at that. How many times was there a crowd around Jesus, where he couldn't even eat a meal. He had to go out on a boat to teach people standing on the beach because there was crowds around him, thousands of people following Jesus. They loved the free food. They loved the miracles. They loved the show. The disciples loved it too. In a way, up till this point, they were learning, but they were really mere spectators, watching and learning. But now Jesus says, it's time to become more than just a fan. Let's become a follower. That's for us too. There's really no room in the kingdom for just fans of Jesus. There's a lot of fans of Jesus. You can ask people that don't um, proclaim to be Christians. You could say, what do you think about Jesus? Almost everybody would be interested in hearing about Him. They know about Him. He is a great teacher, they would say, and teaches, you know, has great wisdom, teaches about peace and love. Yes. He does. But what is that true message that we are called to give? It is that message of love and peace that Jesus brings, but yet, at the same time, we are supposed to be in this together. Not mere spectators. Not just fans, but followers. Following Him as He leads us every step of the way. We are invited to join in the work of God. We are called to be followers, devout, willing to invest our lives, go where He sends us to go, with His power, with His leading to be the church, to share the good news, to sow the seed. Worship is not a spectator sport. Living the Christian life is not either. 
Jesus wanted to extend the ministry beyond Galilee and that region. More gets done when we do it as a part of a team. There is this concept in um, science, chemistry, called synergy. Synergy simply is this. It's where the outcome is greater when two or more things work together than when it is just the one. Very simple. I think we understand that. But it's so key to what Jesus is teaching us here. That we work better together. Proverbs 27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's important. But you know what? In order for that to truly happen, we need to be in relationships with each other. We can't just be on our own. We need to invest in other people's lives. And this is the scary part. We need to let people in. Are you willing to open the door of your heart to let people in? Yes, it's a place of vulnerability. And yes, we've all been hurt. We've all been let down. People around us will hurt us and let us down. Jesus is the only one who never will. But you know what? At the same time, God calls us, open yourself up. Let other people speak into your lives words of hope and encouragement. Let other people bless you even as you go to bless others. You know, um, this idea of the power of two or more, it goes all the way back to the Mosaic Covenant. I mean, we won't look at them, you know, but in Deuteronomy 17 and 19, it uh, and then in the, in the Gospels, it talks about over and over this idea of sending out two by two. Um, in um, John 8, it talks about the power of the testimony of two. In Luke 10, it talks about Jesus sending out the 70, a special group of 70. How does he do it? Two by two, just like the disciples. It's quite a biblical concept. Even as we studied in the book of Acts, the church in Antioch sends out not just Paul as the first missionary, but Paul and Barnabas. See? He sends out, they send out a team. So it's all about the teamwork. But you know what? Jesus, um, we also see in this passage that uh, Jesus tells the disciples, don't bring anything extra. Not even an extra tunic. And that would have been unique for them. But what's the message there? The disciples are to take nothing except the power and authority He gives them. See, it says He gave them all authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, And Jesus is telling them, you're not going to need all that. Don't take all the stuff that you have, that you have acquired, that you think might help you. If you're going to be on mission for me, what you need first and foremost is me. You need my power, the authority I give you. Church, we have that in the person of the Holy Spirit. We have that same power within us that raised Christ from the dead, God says in His Word. And so what does that mean? It means that we are to rely on Him and not on ourselves. We do that all the time, don't we? Sometimes we act like we can take a little bit of God where we need it. The rest, we can handle it on our own. Jesus is teaching His disciples a very valuable lesson. Don't take anything else. All that you need, I will provide. If they need the food, fine. That goes to our next thing. You need the food, you'll get it from those around you. I mean, look what it says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So we're leaning on Him and His power. Trusting in Him and not of our own understanding. Proverbs 16.9, one of my favorites. Right? 
in our hearts, in the heart of man. He plans His way, but the Lord establishes the steps. It's good to make a plan. Going out on a mission for God, let's have a plan. But let the Lord set the steps every way. But then He says, when you're out there, don't take anything. Why rely on the help of others? See, that was much more of a cultural thing back then. It was a little bit easier for them to understand that concept. Because you know what? It was kind of expected, especially uh, among the Hebrews, that they would go out and they would find shelter and provision from just about anybody. They would let strangers, wanderers, into their home, feed them, give them shelter. It was more part of the culture. Are we willing to do that? Are you not only willing to open the doors of your heart, are you willing to open the doors of your home? to extend your tables, to be richly blessed by inviting other people into your lives, into your home. Now I know for some of us, we're not as comfortable with that. That's okay. I'm not saying everybody has to have the church over every Sunday and have all of it. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the concept and the principle is true. See that we need to be willing to invest in other people's lives and let people in. They expected it. Jesus said, you'll get your food. From the hospitality of others. Another reason not to rely on yourself. But here's a scary thing. It's scary for many of us. Jesus is teaching us this is so important. He says, go out, be on mission for me. I'll give you all that you need. You're also going to rely on the hospitality of others. Rely on people to come alongside of you to pray for you. To provide money for you when you're on mission if you need it. To provide things for you. You know, we, um, we have this good friend. Her name is Megan. And we've kind of shared her story a little bit. But she is um, a young woman who was on the streets of New York City for many years. Six, seven years. And she came to know the Lord and to find help and hope through New York City Relief. One of the, the missions organizations that we support. We send teams there, we send money, we do a sock drive every winter for them. And, and she's a young woman who was on the streets with her little daughter for many years and she came to find the Lord Jesus through New York City Relief. And just recently, I mean, she's stayed connected, she even works with them now. It's a beautiful story of God restoring her life by people who just offered her a cup of soup. But see, just recently she moved, got her very first own apartment for her and her children. Very scary thing for a young single mom to do that. She didn't have enough money for that. It was the right time. She actually needed to do it for various reasons. God provided not only the money, but somebody encouraged her, you know, just why don't you go on and go on to a a store and and kind of like you would do when you get married and you put out like a registry of things you need. Because you know what she had? She had nothing really to bring with her. She was relying on the hospitality of others. So reluctantly she did. And she kind of put it out there on social media. And one by one it spread. And she called the other day. She said, you know what? I'm looking around. I have 54 items from Target it was that people sent me. Everything I have here is new. Because I had nothing myself from the generosity of others. Everything from a shower curtain to a spatula to a brand new couch. Amazing, right? What God is doing. I have to share this other story too. It wasn't even in my notes, but she was saying as she was getting the utilities turned on, never did that before. She's having to do this of 
Sometimes when you don't have a credit history, utility will say, you need a deposit. So she was on, on the phone with um, the electric utility company, and she was on hold for a long time, right, and waiting, waiting. Finally came back, said, fine, we'll turn it on for you. You need a deposit. It was a small deposit, $74 and change. Okay, but it was $74 she didn't have. They said, we can add it on to your bill. She said, that's good, but she's thinking, it's still, this is extra money I don't have. So while she's on the phone doing that, she's multitasking on the computer, and she is changing her address for her car insurance. And just as the lady on the phone from the electric company says, you need a deposit of $74 and change, she pressed enter to enter her new address to update her car insurance. And because she moved to a different town that is not much nicer, a better neighborhood, she got a reduction in her insurance rate, $75. Isn't that beautiful? We praise God for that. I think we can all relate to stories like that in our lives. But see, she was relying on the hospitality of others. And God then shows in little ways, He's there with us every step of the way. He asks us to take a step of faith. Don't take all that stuff with you you think you're going to need. Maybe it's even our pride. Don't bring your pride with you either. Leave that behind. I'll give you all that you need. He then says, just kind of wrapping up, some will accept you and some won't. And he kind of gives like a pretty strong encouragement. He says, if you go to somebody's house, they accept you. It's great. Give them the word. If you go and they reject you. Remember, he just came off of rejection in Nazareth. He says, if they reject you, he do this thing. And it was kind of a well-known thing back then in that culture. Shake the dust off your feet. It was symbolic of saying, I have done what I have come to do. It is now in the Lord's hands. See? And even Matthew kind of get, you know, gives a little bit further detail that there would be judgment in condemnation for the people who reject Jesus Christ. We know that as well. But you know what? As we're called on mission for God, what we are called to do is to sow the seed. Remember recently we talked about the parable of the four soils? There was different soils. There was the hardened ground, the path, and there was the rocky soil and the soil infested with weeds. Then there was the good fertile soil. But all we are to play in that part, in that story, in that illustration is to sow the seed. We sow the seed. The rest is up to God. He tells His disciples, go, share the good news of the kingdom. Those that accept you, be blessed by their hospitality. You will face rejection just as I have because you are now my representative. So church, we're going to face that rejection in many forms and in many ways. God is saying here, through Jesus, be encouraged. Keep moving forward. Don't give up sharing the good news. Loving people through it. Yes, there are times when we are free to kind of shake the dust off our feet and move on. Else says elsewhere in Scripture, not casting our pearls before swine. Same idea, I think. But the point is, is we don't kind of give up on people, but it's okay to take, to take a step back, take a step away, and move forward. Praying, loving on people, but saying, okay, God, take me. Where is it next? Show me where to plant that seed This seed was rocky soil. This seed was a hard ground. It's not my responsibility, God. Just show me where to sow the seed. That's what he's saying. See, he's saying, go and do it. Even the first church, right, that called Paul and Barnabas, they were told, you're going to face rejection. Acts 13 says the same thing. They shook, Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them. And then they went on to Iconium. See, Paul and Barnabas did that as well. 
we are called not only to bless others with the good news, but we are to be hospitable as well. See, the disciples were told to rely on the help of others. Why? They couldn't do it themselves. Not even in pairs, two by two. That wasn't even enough. They needed to rely on others. Church, we are to rely on each other. Maybe that means for you accepting people into your life because you tend to be very personal and closed off. I have to say, you're missing out on such a rich blessing of getting to know other people and letting them speak words of truth and affirmation into your life. Maybe it means for you opening the doors of your home, allowing people to come in, and as we say, expanding your tables. I love one of the things we do at Thanksgiving. We have a lot of people over. Last year, we actually did it here at the church. We had too many people for our house. But why? Because we love to extend the tables, two, three tables, so you can fit 10, 15, 20 people around. It's better than sitting in front of the TV watching the football for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is kind of the time you want to be around together at the table, right? So what do we do? We extend the tables so we can fit more people. Why? Not only is it a blessing to them, it's a blessing to us. So you get to hear people's stories, invest in their lives, they invest in your lives. I want to end with this story and then we're going to sing a song of worship to close. This is going back to Second uh, Kings chapter 4. It's a story that I think kind of brings the point home. And perhaps it's a story you haven't read before. But this is the story of the prophet Elisha and the Shunammite woman. Here's how the story goes. I'm going to read sort of the beginning and the end of the story and fill in some of the details. But I'll read it in a second. It's up there for you. Second Kings chapter 4. This, um, there is this Shunammite woman. She's called that because she is from this particular place named after that area. And um, she gets to know the prophet Elisha. And she recognizes he's a holy man, a man of God. And so what does she want to do? She just wants to bless him. So with the, um, the approval of her husband, she's a married woman. She says, you know, to her husband, let's build a room for him. So whenever he comes through town, which is often, he's got a nice place to stay and we'll feed him. Many churches have homes that are designated like a parsonage. They have other homes designated for missionaries. Traveling missionaries come in and, and they can stay there. It's set apart for them. That's kind of what this is like. And so the Shunammite woman and her husband, they do. They build that. And Elisha often comes through town and this is the place that he stays. Beautiful story. They build a room to simply bless him. A very simple um, example in a very simple and easy way to bless the prophet. So the prophet Elijah asks his servant, go find out how we can bless her. Okay, that's what we see here. So, here's what it says, 2 Kings 4. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food, right? So she was being hospitable. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, behold now... I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. So let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go there. One day he did come there and he turned into the chamber and he rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite woman. So when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, say now to her, 
See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? He's saying, like, how can we help you to the woman now? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or perhaps a commander of the army? And she answered, no, it's okay. I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is it to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her, Elisha said. So when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this, re- at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, oh man of God, don't lie. Don't lie to your servant. But the woman did conceive and she bore a son about that time the following spring, just as Elisha had said to her. Elijah found a way to return the blessing. A simple act of kindness by the woman. And Elijah blesses her with a son. So the story goes that the son gets sick. And the son dies. And the woman runs to find Elisha. And Elisha comes and brings the young boy back to life. You should read it. It's a really interesting story. He lays on top of him and breathes life. And it's a really interesting picture of how God moves the prophet Elijah to do that. And the son is restored to life. And then later on in their relationship, Elisha knows there's a famine coming. So he warns the woman and her husband and the son, you need to leave this place for seven years. There's going to be a severe famine. So they do and they listen to him. He saves them from a famine. He keeps repaying the act of kindness blessing and receiving so then finally they return after the famine after seven years and what happens the woman and her husband find that their land had been reclaimed by the king they thought i guess that she had abandoned the property so then we pick up in second kings eight a few chapters later she goes before the king to try to plead her case say no i left the prophet warned me it's a famine come back i didn't abandon it i'm back Can I have my property back? Here's what happens. Quite interesting. Now, Elisha had said to the woman, just kind of giving a bit of the background, whose son he had restored to life, arise, depart with your household, sojourn wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine, and it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God. She went with her household, sojourned in the land of the Philistines for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land, because she recognized it had been reclaimed. So now, here's the scene. It's so cool. They're like sort of in the palace, in the king's chambers, right? The king is talking to Elisha's servant. Same servant, talking to him. It says, now the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. That's Elisha saying, Hey, tell me all the great things that Elijah has done. You see what's happening? The king is talking to the servant saying, I know about this prophet Elijah. Tell me, tell me all the great stories, the miracles, the people he raised back to life. It was the same time the woman had gone to meet with the king. So while he was telling the king how Elisha had even restored the dead to life, talking about the boy, behold, the woman whose son had restored the life to life appealed to the king For her house and her land. And Gehazi said, My Lord, King, here is the woman. And here is her son, whom Elisha restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, she told him, she gave a testimony. 
So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, together with all the produce of the fields from the day that she left and the day until now. Is that amazing? God not only restored the the land through the king, he said even all the crops that she had lost, bring it all back, the livestock, the crops, give it all back to her. Why? Because God had orchestrated all of that to happen. And it all started because she just wanted to be a good neighbor. She wanted to be sort of, in a way, in ministry and on mission for God with the prophet. Said, here's something simple we can do. I don't have a lot of money to give. I don't know what else to do, but we can give them a room, a place to stay, some food to eat. It can all start with a simple act of hospitality. Why? Because we need it. We are in this together, church. We are being sent out two by two. We're being sent out in teams. Why? Because there is no more room in the kingdom for spectators. We are to be learning and growing, but all at the same time serving and repeating that process Going out, representing the Lord Jesus, but don't do it alone. Take first and foremost the authority that God has given you as a child of God. Take the power He has given within you through the Holy Spirit. Leave your pride. Check that baggage. Don't bring it with you. And just go with the power that God has given you. He'll provide all that you need. And you know what? You're going to need to rely on other people. So church, we're in this together. We have a vision together. We're on a mission for God together. Yes, we leave this place. We go throughout the week mostly living our lives by ourselves. We go to our places of work and school. But never forget, you have a church family that is praying for you, that is supporting you, that is loving you, that wants to encourage you. And yes, sometimes when you need it, maybe rebuking you, giving you a word to remind you to get back on track. That's part of what we do together. So brothers and sisters, remember, we're no longer spectators. We are to join the mission together. It's all about being on a team, working together. Jesus sends out the twelve. says, don't take anything extra. We go tell them the life-changing, life-saving news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just like with the story we started with. There was a team of people that volunteered to get together to save lives. And they overcame, overcome many obstacles, trekking through a thousand miles worth of frozen wilderness. But they did it to bring life-saving medicine, to bring a cure for those in desperate need. Church, our world is in desperate need of a cure for the brokenness, the lack of hope, and only Jesus And Jesus Himself can do that. But you know what? He doesn't just go around this earth on His own like He did the beginning of His ministry. He called the disciples and said, now you're joining me. We're going to expand the mission. And He continues to do that 2,000 years later with us right here in this room. So we bless one another and then we depart. We go beyond these four walls and we take that message, that message that brings life to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Let's pray now. We'll close out with a song. A song that will remind us of that good gospel message that we serve a Savior who goes before us and we serve a message which really all is about new life in Him. Father God, we thank You 
for a time in your word. Thank you for those simple stories that we can relate to that remind us that God, even the smallest, what we might think, the smallest word of encouragement, the smallest act of kindness, the smallest example of hospitality, reaching out a hand, sharing a meal, giving a cup of soup to a homeless person, whatever it might be. We know, God, how you can multiply that. We can't even imagine, but we leave that in your hands. We leave it in your hands, God. You just call us to sow the seed and to never give up doing it. Yes, we might face rejection, but God, you are there with us, calling us to go, to go to find those that are willing to listen, to give them the good news. So God, we are to do as your disciples did, to bring healing. They healed those, they cast out demons, they healed the lepers and the sick. God, we are to help others with their material needs, but we know even through those open doors that we can then tell them about Jesus, introduce them to the one who died for their sins. God, thank you for inviting us into the ministry, inviting us to be co-laborers in Jesus Christ and help us to always remember the one that binds us together, that keeps us working together as a team through all of our differences, through all of our discrepancies, through all of those things that might come between us. God, we share the most important thing, and that is the love of Jesus Christ, a new life in Him. May we live it, may we live it out together, and may we take what we are encouraged with every Sunday from these four walls and go throughout the week as we meet together to continue to learn and to grow. God, may it just strengthen us all the more, all the more, to be your hands and your feet, to represent you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for calling us to do it, and thank you that we are not alone, that we can, that we can rely on others and look forward to doing it. God, for those of us that need that extra encouragement to do it, to kind of open up our homes and our hearts, may we do that. God, may we have the courage to do that. And just to leave all the details and the planning to you, that you would set our steps along this journey. So God, we say thank you, and we do so as always in the one who will lead and guide and protect us, and that is Jesus. Amen. Amen.